When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, today we got Coach Mills uh, with us. Coach Mills is the head football coach at James and Bennett High School in Maryland. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm I'm doing about as good as I can be right now, given circumstances. So, nice. um, kind of I I mean, there's a lot of directions we're going to kind of go in today. But first, I I kind of want to hit on you being a Navy kid and kind of moving around the country. Um, we talked a little bit before we came on how you kind of played in the I form, the wing team, moved around the country. What was it like? playing football, and constantly moving as part of a Navy family growing up? Um, I think it gave me a lot of unique perspectives, which I think have really helped me as I've uh, become a teacher and you know football coach because that wasn't my first career after college. But as those things have developed, I think having been around the country and, and, and around the world, it's really given me a unique perspective and it helps me relate to, uh, you know, I think a lot of my players from a lot of different backgrounds, you know, we, we're a very diverse school and, you know, there are some unique inherent challenges with that. Um, but it, it's, a you know, being around all sorts of different people is really given me the opportunity to be able to relate to a lot of different people, kind of understand their perspective. So I think it's really helped me um, in that regards, um, you know, growing up in, in the Midwest, as you can relate to, the Midwest is a unique place in and of itself. Uh, spent time on the West Coast. I live on the East Coast now. I uh, lived for three years in Spain on a Navy base. So, you know, all those different things are all different ingredients, which I think help make me a better coach and, and, and a better uh, leader, a better father, all those things. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, and athletically, you know, I went to two different high schools my first two years of high school. I was living on that Navy base in Spain. There's only about 250 kids in that school. Um, but we had a football program. And the cool thing was we traveled around Europe to play other military bases. So an away game for us was, you know, board the plane on a Thursday, you know, fly out, maybe have a layover somewhere and then take, you know, the plane to, to London, to uh, Rome, to Sicily, to Germany, um, you know, where, wherever our away game was at the time. And uh, it was really cool because I got to see a lot of different things. Um, but I think it was a unique opportunity. You know, like when we take an away game, we might ride an hour and a half on a bus, play the game. We pack the bus up, back we go home. You know, it was kind of different there because we stayed on their gym floor. Um, so you might play them in a game and you might be hanging out with them later on in the team center <laughs> on base afterwards. So it's kind of a cool experience. Um, plus just to play football in the fall in places like Germany in England, in Italy, it's just a, it's a real unique and enjoyable experience. Um, you know, because of that, you know, on the football side of things, got exposed to a lot of different things. My first year, we were a pro formation, I formation team. Uh, we may have even used a little bit of split backs. I don't remember. That was a long time ago. Uh, my second year, we, we transitioned into a single wing team, you know, so that was a, that was a lot of fun. Um, I think it was more fun to play in than it probably would be to coach, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Don't tell my offensive coordinator I said that. Um, but, uh, and then transitioning my, between my sophomore and junior year, moved to Southern Indiana, small town Indiana. So that was a unique experience to me. You know, my, my first two years on the Navy base um, was kind of small townish. We, we, we led all of the military bases in Europe in attendance. We would pack, you know, 
four to 5,000 people in our, I can't call it a stadium. It was like a municipal field, but they would line around the field and there'd be all sorts of people. The whole base would turn out. Um, and then going to Southern Indiana, you know, same thing, even though Indiana's a basketball state, um, you know, we still would pack the stands for football games. And, you know, when I got there in my junior year, um, I was back to I formation with some, you know, spread concepts. That was the, the early days of the spread 2000, 2001 timeframe before, uh, you know, before things really got out of control, so to speak. Um, but in uh, my, my senior year, we transitioned to Winky. So, you know, all those experiences provided me with some things as, as a coach. And it gave me an opportunity to observe a lot of different people as coaches and as leaders too, which has factored tremendously into the way I approach things. Um, you know, I always think back to those days and, you know, hey, my coach did this and I really liked that. My coach did this and I really didn't like that. Why did they do these things? Should I do something similar? If not, well, throw it out the door. You know, if so, hey, let's try to do that. It worked in 2001. Let's try it in 2020, you know, or whatever the case may be. So, and again, being around military personnel, you see some tremendous leaders. Um, and I think, you know, if there's one thing I think separates great coaches from good coaches, I mean, I tend to think as a head coach or as a higher level coach, you probably have a pretty good grasp of X's and O's if you're somewhat successful. So what separates having that X's and O's knowledge um, and winning some games to taking your program to the next level? And I think it really does come, out, come down to, you know, leadership and, and, and how you can get teenage boys transitioning into men to do things that are foreign to them, that are alien to them and are kind of counterintuitive. Hey, we want you to run to that guy at full speed. What? You know, so how do we get them to do that and enjoy the experience um, and want to do it 62 times a game? Um, you know, I think that comes down to leadership and things like that. So having the opportunity to grow up around the military, see those things firsthand, I saw some tremendous leaders. More importantly, I saw some very poor leaders. And I think that's uh, was just as important for me and developmentally as say, hey, that guy did not have a good reputation as a leader. How did he do things? Let's not do it that way. Um, you know, so certainly it gave me a unique perspective that I don't think growing up in the same place my whole life would have given me, although I did miss out on some things, not being able to do that as well. You know, um, I can't change my story, but I really do appreciate the opportunities that I had to learn from people because of those experiences. Well, that's awesome coach. But I kind of want to pick on more of that because you mentioned several playing in several systems while you, mm -hmm. while you were very fortunate enough to be able to travel worldwide and kind of have fun with that. But how did that influence you as an offensive coordinator? Because I, I know we talked a little bit off air how you're kind of transitioning off styles of offense right now. But mm -hmm. how did your playing time in single wing, wing T, I, um, impact you initially as an offense coordinator when you became an offense coordinator? So, you know, when I became – so before I was an offensive coordinator, I was a, a JV head coach slash offensive coordinator. So I kind of had – an experimental time, so to speak, you know, where I could kind of do some things and see what worked and what didn't work. Um, you know, so obviously the first time I started calling plays, I gravitated towards what I knew, which was gap scheme, you know, uh, 21 personnel, 22 personnel, those sorts of things. Um, and, you know, we had success doing that. I was successful doing that. And, you know, <clears throat> but as I started to develop as a coach, learn more and learn more, we, we kind of playing in those four unique systems um, and under different coaching staffs, what it taught me was that when it comes to X's and O's, anything works. And I think that's important to understand. You know, we get 
we get married to our systems. We get married to our concepts. Oh, we think air raid is best. We think wing T is best. We think, you know, power football is best. Double wing, triple option, whatever it might be. And I'm going to spoil a lot of people's uh, career paths and tell you it all works. All the X's and O's work. It really comes down to who can you teach it? First of all, Um, do you have the people to execute what you want to do? And can they understand what you're trying to do? Um, You know, so playing in those in those different systems taught me anything works. And of course, when I started calling plays, I gravitated towards those things. But as I developed as a coach, I said, you know, let's try a little bit of this. Let's try a little bit of that. Let's kind of shake it up a little bit and insert some things. And what we found is we kind of ended up with this, this, I don't want to call it a hodgepodge, but kind of this hybrid system where, you know, my, my second to last year as offensive coordinator, not last year, but the year previous, we had a very dynamic football team. Granted, a lot of it was just tremendous personnel. Um, but, you know, we were a spread gap team, so to speak, you know, but we also had some air raid concepts and we had some, you know, uh, read option concepts and things like that. Uh, we, so we kind of took a little bit of everything and threw it in there. Uh, and that's when we were the most successful last year, we had to gravitate more towards just being a gap team because of our personnel. We, uh, we graduated a tremendous senior class the year before. So we were working with a lot of inexperience. I think at one point last year, we had eight different sophomores start on varsity. Um, so it was a, you know, an issue in regards to experience and their, their, um, level of understanding of football was a little limited fan our back some, we were not as, um, you know, we were not as successful. So. That kind of led me to look at it this year. Okay, what can we do? And now it's kind of weird as a head coach, you know, as an offensive coordinator, you kind of approach the, the offensive game plan on, you know, this is what works and this is the game plan for this week, right? This is what we do. So let's go out and just do it this week. Now, as the head coach, I'm thinking about our offense and defense from a program level perspective. You know, what allows a freshman to come in day one and learn our system so that by the time they're a senior, they can execute it flawlessly? Um, we don't have a feeder program. We have a unique experience here where I live. We have three high schools, all play football within two square miles of each other. Um, So as you can imagine, there's a lot of, you know, and all those kids go to the same middle schools and then they break out depending on where their district is. So we don't have a true feeder program. We don't have dedicated middle school football. We have some good youth football programs in the area, but again, they're made up of kids who might go to any of those three schools. So we don't really have the opportunity to invest completely in those youth programs. So I kind of look at it as our JV has to be our feeder program. You know, our, our, our freshman group, when they come in, we have to teach them how we're going to do things the Bennett way. And what is an offensive and defensive scheme that we can institute that will allow us to teach them from day one so that their, you know, senior year, even their junior, if they're good enough, even their sophomore year, they can step on that varsity field and execute our offensive game plan as flawlessly as possible. Um, and that's kind of changed the way we do things offensively uh, as far as what we're going to be doing going forward. That's awesome, Coach. Um, but and you mentioned your transition from OC to mm-hmm. head coach there. How has that transition been? Uh, what have you kind of learned during that process that you didn't know before? Um, and do you have any tips for anybody who's making transitions? Because, you, you, I mean, again, you were an internal hire. You got promoted mm-hmm. to head coach. So any tips for anybody who gets promoted internally and how to deal with that situation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I got hired as head coach, the first thing I did was fire myself as offensive coordinator. Um, you know, I was, a, 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 you know, an average to above average play caller. I was really good when I had tremendous personnel 
and not as good when I didn't have the personnel. And I, and I know that about myself, you know, I was limited by certain things. Um, fortunately I had someone in the program who I think is going to be a tremendous play caller, um, tremendous offensive coordinator. I'm looking forward to watch him work. Um, but yeah, I mean, the hardest part for me, I, I won't say the hardest part, but the, the weirdest part for me has been to go from working with the guys one-on-one -on -one in small group instruction, you know, being a direct coach to now as the head coach, being more of an indirect coach, allowing my assistant coaches to coach, allowing them, you know, it's, it's kind of been weird taking over in a time of COVID because everything we do has to be in these weird pods of 15 or less. Right. So like I'm allowed to float as the head coach, I can go from station to station to station, but I'm the only one. So everybody else has to have a coach that stays with that pod, with that group. So I can't really be there for a ton of direct instruction because I've got to hop from group to group to group to monitor and make sure everything's working. Um, you know, it also means as the head coach, I've got to fill in where people, where things are needed. We don't have a, uh, a dedicated wide receivers coach or a DBs coach. So guess who gets to do that? The guy who coached O-line and D-line for uh, over a decade. So, um, but I, I'm, a, I'm super excited for the challenge. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, but you know, I have to be the wide receiver and DBs coach. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's what we need. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, got some younger guys that are going to do it with me. So hopefully as the season progresses, as we do this a little bit longer, maybe they can take over and I can go back to being more of that hands off. But that's kind of been the weirdest part for me as I look out at the field and I see our three different pods and I got coaches working them. And I'm like, you know, last year, the last 10 years of my life, that's been me. Now I'm on the administrative end. And I think that's hard for a lot of coaches to make. That's a transition that's hard for a lot of coaches to make. Um, just like anything else, right? You know, you see it in business and in, in the military where guys get promoted to a, you know, a supervisor level or something like that. You can't, you can't be involved necessarily with the minute to minute thing. You got to delegate and you got to let your assistants do those things. That's why you have to hire good assistants. You know, um, one of my passions is strength and conditioning. Uh, I've competed in uh, strongman multiple times. Um, I, you know, I've done a lot of CrossFit stuff. I, you know, I've studied a lot of strength and conditioning I'm debating the merits of getting my CSCS sometime soon, just to say I have it, but you know, it's a passion of mine. Um, but again, you know, I have a guy who works for a um, private training facility as well as works in our school. And he's now a strength and conditioning coach. And it's been weird for me. You know, I, I've always done the programming for that for the last six years. Now he's doing the programming for it. And I just kind of say, hey, yeah, that looks great. Or maybe make this tweak here or there. So, you know, the, the weirdest part has been just getting out of the minutia and just being more overall, you know, having that wide picture of you seeing the, you know, the forest versus looking at the trees, so to speak. Um, and that's one thing I would recommend to anybody making that transition, especially internally is identify the people who are going to help make you successful and let them do their thing, allow them to, to be successful, to use their skills. Don't expect them to do things the way you would do things. Don't expect them to talk the way you would talk. You know, obviously you have the final imprint on the program and you're going to shape what happens, but allow them to use their individual talents within that. Don't expect them to do the way things, the way you do things, make sure they're doing it at a high level. That's going to be successful, but delegate and let them work. Don't, don't micromanage. And that's, you know, something that I have had to learn that is different for me, but uh, so far I'm being successful with it. Once we get in season, you know, we'll see what happens there. But 
Um, you know, I'm definitely, you know, let the play caller call the plays. Let the D coordinator call the defense. You know, have input, sure, because you're the final uh, question answer at the end of the day. The buck stops with you. But don't micromanage. Let them do what they do and say, hey, great job. Or, hey, we need to fix this. You know, that's my job and the way I view it. Now, kind of going even further than that into micromanaging mm-hmm. and delegating, obviously you were the offensive coordinator beforehand. How involved have you been throughout this transition of be your defense and your special teams and dictating the direction you want with that, any changes, um, and kind of where you've told your staff to focus on? Yeah, so, I mean, I've been – let me see if I can phrase this the right way. I've been very involved with that, um, not – under the concept of saying, here's what I want every play to be, but philosophically, you know, uh, and schematically, you know, uh, fortunately our D coordinator, actually, he coached with me when I was a JV coach for many years and he's been the varsity D coordinator for, I think five years now. So he knows what he's doing. Um, but certainly the way I act and operate is much different than the way the last, uh, head coach acted and operated. He was a great guy. I learned so much from him, but we're very different personalities at the same time. You know, so I sat down with our D coordinator, um, just like, uh, you know, we talked to the offensive coordinator and we said, okay, what's going to make us successful again to that same concept of the offense, what allows a freshman to come in day one to start learning. And by the time they step on the varsity football field, they're ready to be successful. And we, you know, we're approaching that same philosophy on defense, um, special teams. I am sticking around as the special teams coordinator, um, <clears throat> because I, I, I love special teams, which I think you can appreciate, um, but we're also going to do things differently with special teams. Uh, I'm a firm believer in thinking outside the box. And I feel like special teams, in my opinion, is a place where a lot of programs miss opportunities to win games. Um, you know, you look at like what Kevin Kelly does down there at Pulaski Academy or Pulaski Academy in, in, in Arkansas. And that takes a certain amount of cojones to be willing to do. Don't get me wrong. And you, but you, you know, think about it. When you decide, hey, we're going to go for it on every fourth down, that frees up your offensive coordinator. That allows your D coordinator to understand. And you get your players to buy in, you know, because that's a unique concept saying, hey, coach wants to win this game. You know what I mean? Not that there's, in my opinion, there is a time to punt and win the field position game. But, you know, I, I've got a chart that I've come up with. Um, maybe I'll put it online and sell it for $9.99, you know, and uh, tell people <laughs> you can get Bill's uh, special team certified. No, I don't know. Um, you know, it's just a chart that says, here's when we're going to go for it on fourth yeah. down. Here's when we're going to punt. You know, and I'll be honest with you, go for it on fourth down has a much bigger section than the time <laughs> we're going to punt. Because um, hey, I think that I, – I, I, I've been there. I, I When I was a D.C., our head coach probably went for it on fourth down probably 75% of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's times where I'd start on the opposite 20 and be like, well, this is going to be fun. Like, let's just – why not? You live once. So at this point, as a special team coach, it's amazing how many times that has influenced me. I'd just say to our head coach on the headset, like, can we just go for it? Like, it's fourth and two. Just go for it. Yeah. And I think, especially in high school, like, you know, you could get on to the numbers all you want. You know, the, the what is they called the win percentage or whatever it is as it changes, you know, all those things. You know, at the end of the day, there's two things I want with our schemes. One, does it allow our players to be the most successful they can be? Two, does it force the other team to think? Because as we know with players and coaches, the more you think, the more mistakes you make. You know what I mean? Like, as good football is boring. You know what I mean? Because that means every play I'm calling is working. That means everything you're doing is being successful. That's boring to watch. I love boring football. You know what I mean? 
But at the same time, if we can make it exciting for the other team because they have to think and they've got to start moving all the pieces around, I think that gives us a competitive advantage. And I think special teams especially is that, you know, that queen on the chessboard that you could do some things and really put the other team off balance. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to get too much into the details, but look at the uh, look at the phrase scrimmage kick in the NFHS rulebook, and you tell me what the difference is between a punt and a field goal attempt. That's all I'm going to say about that, because um, there's some 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 maneuverability in there that I think will help us be more successful. Plus, you know, look at the things. You know, going back to going for it on fourth down, right? You as a special teams coordinator, you got the long snap, you got protection. You better hope your punter catches it. You better hope your punter kicks it flush. You know what I mean? You better hope it has a decent hang time. You better hope that the, the coverage team gets down there. Plus, usually on kickoff and punt, who are you kicking it to? The best athlete on the other team. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want that guy touching the ball too many times. You know, like, think about it offensively, right? You sit down you say, hey, we want our best player to touch the ball 25 times a game offensively. Now, if you're going to give that guy an extra five to seven touches a game, why? You know, you're just asking. You know, and I was watching – some high school game the other night. I don't remember who was watching. That's a great thing about YouTube right now. I've watched so many live stream games of <laughs> random teams from Utah, Oklahoma. Like yep. it's just, it's wild. But, you know, both teams, I think the first team gave up a 50 yard return. Then the other team gave up a 40 yard kick return. Uh, they had a botched fumbled snap on a punt. The other team returned a punt for a touchdown. This was all in the first quarter. And I'm like, good golly. Like, you know, what is giving you the best chance to win the game? In my opinion, it's not giving it to the best player on the other team. Yeah. Well, that, that's, I scout that all the time. Like, who can I kick it to? Like, I, in a perfect world, I'm going to try to kick it deep and pin you. But there's teams where they're based off their scheme or who they got. Like, I'm not kicking it deep. I, I tell my kick all the time, you see that fat kid right there? Kick it right to him. Or kick right in front of him. That's who I want you to mm-hmm. kick at. Like, don't don't kick it like and just yeah make and then I make them move their people then I kick somewhere else like it's not hard like no, I don't know it's not and I think it's just as football coaches we are we are creatures of we're very tribal that's the way I like to use it tribal right our knowledge is usually passed down to us from the former chief of the tribe and we do things in the traditional sense the way the former chief of the tribe did and we're going to pass that down to the, uh, the young warriors underneath us. And then when they become chiefs, they're going to do things like we did, right? And we are so married to certain concepts and ideas as football coaches, it hurts my brain. <laughs> like, I know I'm going to irritate somebody, but stop running 300-yard gassers. Like, that is absolutely asinine when it comes to conditioning or any sort of performance increase. Like, you're just hurting people at that point. But we still run 300-yard gassers, you know? A lot of coaches do that. And, you know, because why? Because that's what the guy before me did. That's what the, you know, the old coach who just retired did. And there's a certain value to listening to those guys and saying, hey, this is what made them successful. Let's try and emulate some of those things. But at the same time, let's let's try and breathe some new ideas into what we do. Let's let's look outside our tribe and see what other tribes do that make them successful, not be afraid to implement those things. And you know, it's like you know, squib kicking versus onside kicking, like you know, why not? You know, you know, I don't have the hard numbers. I, I have them somewhere, but right. Unless my kicker can put it in the end zone every time. And we have had a kicker that could do that. And that was a heck of a weapon because that made life simple. But most high school kids can't do that. No. So we're going to give them the ball. They're going to catch the ball somewhere, usually between the 10 and 15 yard line. We're giving their best athlete a running start in space. 
I don't want to do that. So, you know, you figure even if we have good coverage and we tackle him, they're still going to start somewhere usually between the 30 to 35 or 37 yard line, right? Okay. And that's an average return, give or take. They have a big return. They get somewhere between the 40 and 50. If I'm kicking from the 40 yard line, why not squib it, give them the ball at the 35 and run my defense out there, but eliminate the chance at a big return or better yet, come up with, you know, some onside kicks, kick it 12 to 15 yards and give your team a chance to recover the ball. You know, if I can steal one to two possessions a game by onside kicking, that definitely increases my chances of winning the game. Plus, it's kind of exciting if I'm a player, right? We're trying to get the ball back. We're trying to be aggressive. We're trying to go after it, you know? Um, so, I mean, I think that actual team really, again, it requires a little bit of putting yourself out there, so to speak, you know? Um, the parents may not understand it. Uh, you know, some other coaches in your league may not understand it. The newspaper may not understand it. So it takes a level of confidence in yourself and a level of confidence in your players and your coaches to do those sorts of things. But I think it really gives you a great opportunity because you're now doing something that other people don't do. And you're forcing the other team to think, oh, hey, they onside kick it 80% of the time. So they line up to defend your onside kick right and you do an onside kick left. Now they got to go back and say, oh, crap, they can go the other way. You know, or you line up in punt formation, they line up in punt return, and you you run a fake at fourth and one, you know, or you line up to run a fake, they come up, and then you, you know, quick kick it. There's just so many things you can do to force the other team to think. And the more you can get the other coaches to think, the better off I think your team is to win a game. Well, Coach, Coach before we wrap up here, I, I do have yeah. one more question for you, and um, and this is a question I actually ask a lot of the coaches I talk to, whether it be on screen or off screen. Um, when you are studying, whether it be offense, being a head coach, who do you study? Where, where do you look to study? Um, who, whose brains do you try to pick? Whose film do you watch? Like what, what, where, where do you professionally develop and what do you focus on for your development as a head coach and while you were an offensive coordinator? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a great question. I mean, obviously, there's a lot to be learned from going to things like Glazier clinics and stuff like that. Um, but I think when you go to those things, you have to be really critical about what you're going to see. I think it's easy to get caught up in these big keynote speakers and go and watch, you know, Dabo Sweeney talk, who, you know, tremendous coach and he's very, you know, but what am I going to take away from that as a high school coach? And I, anytime I've looked to professionally develop or study anything new, it's always how can will this be useful to my high school team will this be useful to my guys you know and you, you see some of these college coaches they're doing some tremendous things that may not carry over to my guys so what's the point of me putting time into that when i could put time into learning something else um you know reaching out to successful coaches in my state has been so helpful for me uh twitter twitter has been in my opinion probably the best tool that i have found for professional development, both uh, through conversation with other coaches, two, just some coaches put up these video snippets of stuff they're doing, and it's great. Um, you know, you obviously got to find the right follows, um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, conversing with coaches around the country, you know, uh, talking, you know, we met doing the, the side, you know, sideline coaches uh, or armchair, I can't remember, armchair, I, well, our, armchair coaches podcast with Chris Armchair yeah. coaching podcast, you know, with, with Coach Sheffer, and that, that was awesome, you know, just being able to communicate, you know, since then I've talked to uh, Steve up there in Chicago and you and, and, and like things like that, and just, 
you know, increasing that network, learning from other high school coaches um, has been awesome. Now, I will also say one of the other things I do when I professional develop is I try and find coaches who actually are successful. Um, and I think that's something we need to be critical of. There's a lot of coaches out there selling a lot of stuff. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but what? how are they being successful with the stuff they're doing? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's important to, to look into and investigate if you are really interested in getting better at what you're doing. Is it, Don't just say, oh, this guy's got a cool website, so I'm going to believe what he has to say. Does his stuff work? Be critical of everything you learn. Um, you know, the other thing about, like, like Twitter is it's also allowed me to follow some people who – um, you know, think outside the box similarly to I do. Not even necessarily football coaches. There's some some uh, r- rugby coaches have been a phenomenal follow for me um, because they approach things in a similar context as football coaches, but they approach things from a completely different background and perspective. And looking at what they do versus what we do, you know, I see a lot of areas, in my opinion, where we could do things better if we did them more like, um, you know, rugby, rugby coaches do, you know, and, and trying to implement those things, um, you know, so I would say Twitter is, is the best tool. If you're, if you're a coach and you're not on Twitter, you need to get on there and you need to find some, some great guys to follow. Um, if anybody has any uh, questions, you know, I shoot you a DM, shoot me a DM. We will, I can give a list. I don't have it off the top of my head. I'd have to look because I follow so many people. Um, I'll give you a great one. Andy Rydlin with um, United USA a men's football team. Yeah. Tremendous follow. I think at USM football or US football MT. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but he's he's a guy who played football at Penn State, but has also played rugby. So he's kind of got the best of both worlds. Um, you know, he's been a great follow for me to learn how to do things. Um, you know, and then I, I, I'm a history teacher. I'm a, I'm a social studies teacher. So I go back and I look at some of these books that have been around for years and say, okay, this worked in 1970. How can we take that concept? Cause I'm a big concept guy, not a big systems guy, right? Take this concept that they used and implement it in 2020. You know, um, you know, we, we talk about the last, I guess a decade now when Oregon started running the read option, everybody lost their mind. This is cutting edge. I'm like, it's triple option football. Yep. They're just doing it from a, a shotgun look or a wider open look. Like it's the same concept. So, what can we use that teams have used previously? Um, you know, looking at where we're changing the way we're tackling um, because I think we found a better way to teach our guys that I've learned through Twitter and through other things like that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's there's a lot of stuff out there. I just encourage anything you find, be critical of, and see does it really work for your guys. Well, Coach, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, if anybody wants to get a hold of Coach, uh, his Twitter information will be below in the bio. Uh, don't hesitate to reach out to him. Coach is a good dude. Um, Coach, thank you, and uh, you stay safe, my friend. My pleasure. You too as well. Stay healthy. Thank you, Coach.